Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jem Romolini. And summer is over, but in Los Angeles, not so much. It's, this isn't, you wouldn't, no one will call this summer. Like, <laughs> no one would relate to this as summer. This is just, um, you know, Dante's Inferno season. This is just a, a layer, a layer of a kind of hell. It's a heat dome. It's a fucking heat dome. It's fine. It's fine. Like, every sleep is fucked up. It's, everyone's miserable and wild. It feels very wild here. And it feels like existentially kind of terrifying because, you know, the, the world. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a little bit of like PTSD from the pandemic because it's, um, oh my God, we're trapped inside. We really can't go out. Like, I guess we could get in the car and go somewhere, but you don't even want to walk from the car to the store. Right. So then you have like a pandemic vibe of like, am I doing enough? But your brain's not really working because air conditioners aren't like all of my friends, even with central air, we're sending each other shots of our, our like internal thermometers. Nobody can get their house like lower than 85 degrees. So oh, God, it's fucking hot all the time. And you get in the middle of something like this. I'm on day six of this seven now. And you start to like, forget what it was like before, even at seven days in, you're just like, Oh, is this just life? Is this this (laughs) how it is from now on? Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. It's a very sensory thing because also you have a lot of fans going, you have a lot of air conditioners going, there's just noise all the time. So it's, um, yeah, I'm not great. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I like? We've talked about it before, but what I like to do when it's disgustingly hot out and I can't get my apartment cool is take a cold bath. Yeah. I feel like that sounds like torment to me. You get in the bathtub when it's empty Mm-hmm. And you you turn on the you turn on the faucet. Maybe it's a little lukewarm at first until mm-hmm. you get used to it. Then you just make it a little cooler and a little cooler, and it's the most refreshing thing. 
Yeah, this is like some Wim Hof shit that you're doing right here. It's like... <laughs> Um, yeah, I got, I got really nothing except the heat. As my husband reminded me, he was like, do we have to talk about it all the time? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> we have to talk about it every fucking, every fucking minute because your body is not also on fire. Like, because you're not going through menopause. So go fuck yourself. This is a tragedy for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, not really. I recognize world hunger. Um, but <laughs> I do, uh, yeah, I don't have much. What's going on with you? I'm just hot. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, it, 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 it sort of magically. And even though there will still be hot days mm-hmm. after Labor Day in New York, you know how it always just feels like it clicks and it's like, okay, after summer now. No, it's weirdly 9-11 weather. I always think of that. 9-11 weather. Someone's, oh. yes. Because yes. that was the most beautiful, clear Perfect day. Summer day. It was a perfect, perfect day. I remember that so clearly. So clearly, sky clear, beautiful, like 71 degrees, breeze, amazing. And that's what September is often in New York until you start getting into the like freaky hurricanes. Why do we only, is this a weather podcast now? (laughs) (laughs) I find weather to be a very interesting topic, but okay, we can talk about something else. I've been watching a show that's very sweet that I'd heard a lot about Abbott Elementary. I've watched some episodes of that. I do find it very sweet. Tell, talk to me about it. I like it's, it too. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's on, it's on a network and it's, okay. but it's streaming on HBO max now, but I didn't watch it cause I never watch any network TV really. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. No, me neither. Um, it's about an element, an underfunded elementary school in Philadelphia Okay. Okay. And the teachers and the teachers and students, but mostly the teachers at the school. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like a good natured sitcom, you know, yes. it feels like a network show, you know, and, oh, and also it, it takes the office premise that somebody's filming them for a documentary or something. Yes, 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 yes. yes. No, it is. And it is really good characters and, um, yeah, it's just fun and sweet. Um, Along those lines this week, because, you know, Alex was getting very ambitious. He was like, let's watch. Nope. Let's like, you know, what's on Criterion? Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck off. I'm hot. And I made yeah, us watch. Canopy. Let's watch something on Canopy. <laughs> exactly. I was like, no art films. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, can bra- I can barely breathe or think. Like, and so I watched, oh my God. I can't even believe at the end of this film, I said, I can't believe I just watched that. I watched The Lost Island. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. It is a film with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum and weirdly in a very bizarre cameo, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, um, oh God, what was that movie with Kathleen Turner, that series with Kathleen Turner and um, Michael Douglas? Michael Douglas. That's it. It's Michael Douglas romancing the stone. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> The Lost Island is a lot like Romancing the Stone, except the script is terrible. Sandra Bullock plays a romance novelist who is kidnapped to find this like lost island. And Channing Tatum plays the cover model on like a Fabio kind of cover model on her 
on her covers of her romance novels. And it is such a terrible movie, but also kind of entertaining. Like if it had, if the script had been turned two notches over, it would have actually been like fun to watch. Like Brad Pitt's in it playing like this, this, this sexy, the sexy man in the jungle who's trying to save people. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> This is what's happening to me. Sandra Bullock, the only thing I will say is that Sandra Bullock has crossed over and has to be filmed weird because she's she's probably, I think she's about 60 and she's crossed over into like puffy lion lip, lot of fillers, like just really fake face and she's skinny as a bean. And, you know, she's still funny and charming and everything else, but it's like you can see that they're having to film around her work. And actually, this leads me perfectly to bring up our interview for today with Val Monroe, which is just, she's just fantastic. I mean, we were fine. We were as good as we ever are, but we but were, she we was, were, we were fine. And also I have technical difficulties again, but yes, she was, but she, she was, was great. And we had really gone into this thinking. We were like, we had a list of questions that was like, how about what kind of makeup you should wear? What serum should I use? And she was like, yeah, let's just blow all of your shit up here. <laughs> like we need to start <laughs> thinking about beauty in a totally different way. And I mean, I cried. I'm not going to lie to you. At a certain point, I was like, God, she's so right. I'm objectifying my face. She's 100% and objectifying myself. This is yep, no, it's really food for thought, as they would say. And I want to say one more thing before we go to the interview. Yes. We were talking on the podcast a little while back about wanting to make it more professional. Yes. Yeah. And we got lots of reaction, which was very nice from people saying, please don't change a thing about it. You're, you're, you know, it's great the way it is, which we really appreciate. But I should probably clarify that I think what we mean when we talk about that is like, let's make it so we have a website. Let's be <laughs> up to date on our Patreon. Um, a lot of things that aren't necessarily the content of the podcast. No, um, let me number the episodes correctly. I think there are like four one oh eights. Are you kidding? <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but like I'm, it's confusing because the trailer counts as one, and so anyway, it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> just basic shit. Yes, when we're talking about making it more professional, we're just like let's pull our shit together because ultimately, I think what we want is. We'd like more listeners too. We'd like this to reach more people. Yep. Just so you guys don't worry that we're going to change it into something as if we could. As if, right. As if we could, <laughs> as if I would ever want to, as if we're not slackers. <laughs> but we have thought of having, we have thought of having a website and we have thought of having some merch. Yeah. Merch. Yeah, some some cute, some cute and not so cute, like some funny merch. I've thought about doing that. Like I would wear an everything is fine sweatshirt, to be honest. I would wear an everything is fine sweatshirt. Yeah, I would. Um, but we have to figure out how to do that well because we'd also both die if it was bad. Like we yes. both, if, if the sweatshirt was like badly fitting or poor quality, I would be so bummed out. So that's going to take us, I don't know, six months to figure out. Yeah. Don't, don't go looking for that to happen anytime soon. Yes, exactly. But thank you for your concern, listeners. I was, my heart was very warmed. There was an entire Facebook thread where just people were throwing in like gifs of like, please don't do that. Like, <laughs> what she said, you know, like, so it was, it was very sweet. So thank you for that. And I'm really, really thrilled with this um, interview. Like sometimes a guest really just like 
kind of blows your mind up and Val really did for me. Yep, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Our guest today is Valerie Monroe. Val was a beauty director at O, the beauty director at O, the Oprah magazine for nearly 16 years, where she wrote the popular Ask Val column. She's been an editor at Ms., Redbook, Self, and Parenting Magazines, among others, and has written hundreds of articles on a wide range of topics for many national publications, including Entertainment Weekly and The New York Times. She is the author of two books, City Kids, about raising kids in cities across the country, and In the Weather of the Heart, a memoir of her marriage. She currently writes the Substack newsletter, How Not to Fuck Up Your Face, where she offers philosophical and practical advice for anyone who's ever looked into a mirror. Welcome, Val. Hi. Hi, Jen. Hi, Kim. We have been wanting to have you on for so long because you give the best beauty advice. So I... I want to just ask you just to start. You've been in the business a long time. How did it feel getting older as a beauty editor? How did things shift for you, 40s, 50s, beyond? Like what, what started to change? Well, that's such a great question. Um, and no one has asked me that question before, interestingly. You know, and I'm now, uh, um, I never hesitate to say I'm 71. I'm going to be 72 this year in a couple of months. And, you know, I started out as a beauty editor when I was, um, I had just turned 50. So there's a huge difference between, you know, a 50-year-old and a 70-year-old. I have to say, especially if you're a woman, I mean, if you're a human, of course, or if you're any kind of organic creature, there's a huge difference. But but culturally for a woman, there's a huge difference between 50 and 70. And I, I was just thinking um, earlier because of something that happened recently. I, I read something recently about uh, from a friend that if I were to ask, if somebody said to me, well, what would you call the chapter of your life that that begins, you know, when you're, you're, you enter your seventies, I would call it sometimes you fall down because what happens to people is that we start to fall down, which is bizarre. I'm, I'm getting a little bit off the subject here, but uh, you'll, I'll hope you'll rein me back in if it's, if I'm too far. From oh, it. no, it's actually a, a, a topic close to my heart this week because my mother took a very bad fall a few days ago. She's 85 and really right? shook us up. She's all right. Thank you for asking. She's in some pain. She bruised some ribs. Oh, the worst, because then it hurts when you laugh, of course. It hurts, yeah, breathe. or breathe or, or breathe. do anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, you know, the genesis of this is that I was thinking, this is a difference, say, between even, you know, 65 and 70, right? Right. Um, you know, some of my friends who are a little bit older than I had told me that they had fallen, you know, I'd go, oh God, that's terrible. That's like an old person's thing. But that's not going to happen to me because I walk like 10 miles a day. I'm not going to fall. You know, how would I possibly fall? It just doesn't apply, right? And then um, the the day before I was to leave for Japan for three months, um, I had gotten, I live on the west side. I'd gone over to the east side of Manhattan to get my PCR test. It was negative. I was thrilled. And I was walking, you know, almost like kind of speed walking in my hokas back across the park. And I got to like 72nd and Fifth Avenue and there was this old couple. And now I'm saying making air quotes, old couple, right? Walking in front of me, holding hands, blocking the sidewalk. And I'm like, you know, God, people, don't you know how to walk, you know, like this? So in an effort to like get by them quickly, I took a little detour. I slipped off the curb. And the next thing I knew, I was sprawled across the sidewalk in front of them with my glasses, my sunglasses, you know, like three feet away. My hands were bleeding. My knuckles were bleeding. You know, I was so shaken up. 
And then I looked up at this couple. He must have been in his 80s, but she, I realized, was probably younger than I, which pissed me off, right? <laughs> and she looked down at me. She's like, are, are you okay? Don't get up. Don't get up. I'm sorry. I can't help you. I have a bad back. And I'm like, well, you know, I was trying to pass you. That's why yeah. I fell down. Yeah. I still couldn't like, you know, um, associate myself with what had happened in a way. And I was really shaken up. I wasn't badly hurt, but uh, afterward, you know, I started to be more careful about going down the stairs. And, you know, I don't know whether you noticed it yet because you guys are younger than I, but there's a certain way that older people sometimes carry themselves. I mean, sometimes they inch along and they look like they're scowling, which I've realized is not because they're angry people. It's because they hurt somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Most likely. And the other thing is, they walk more carefully than other people. You know, when I finally got to Tokyo, walking down the subway stairs, I'd be like inching my way down the stairs, holding onto the banister because I didn't want to fall and break my neck, you know? Right, right. So um, that's one of the differences between being a 50-year-old beauty editor or a 50-year-old anything and being a 70-year-old whatever, right? Yeah. In terms of beauty specifically, I think the maliciousness of the our particular Western beauty culture became more acute to me. It became more um, vivid to me the older I got. Because bottom line, what is considered appropriate and attractive in, in our Western beauty culture is youthful or young and sexy, right? Or hypersexual. The older you get from that, the further away you get from that, you know, ideal the more uncomfortable it is if you're trying to adhere to it, right? So, I mean, it's, it's impossible for everyone, number one. It's impossible for everyone. But when you move past the point of being ever being uh, perceived as youthful or ever being perceived as sexual by, you know, younger people, I would say, because older, as you guys know, you know, I mean, you don't use your, lose your sexuality as you get older, it just changes, Um the harder it is to to feel comfortable in a culture that prizes that. Do you feel like this is changing at all? Because no. I, I get, I yeah, I was going to ask because I feel like, you know, a few retailers throw up some images of the same, you know, very attractive gray haired model with curly hair and some menopause beauty product lines launch. And everybody's talking about how it's a new day for menopausal and postmenopausal women. But I don't feel like on the ground there's a lot of change. I agree. Yeah, you know the one the one thing that uh, mostly pointed that out to me most recently was um, uh, when Laura Geller, who's a makeup artist and a, uh, she has a makeup line I, that I love. I actually love her too because I think she's a she's very down to earth. Um, she's very smart and her makeup is terrific. She used uh, Paulina. What's her last name? I can't. Portskova. That's the one, right? Um, in an ad campaign that was all about getting older and feeling great when you get older, you know, feeling sexy and, you know, and, um, and young and energetic. And this woman, you know, Paulina is never going to look the way most of us look when we get older. I, she doesn't have to do anything to herself. I mean, no matter what, she, she never washes her face again. She's still going to look fabulous. And she's very, very thin. She's got blonde hair and I think blue eyes. And I, just I wrote about this in in, the, in my Substack. I just found it a um, a terrible way to try to make women feel better about themselves as they get older because it's only 
uh, throwing up another impossible ideal. Even more impossible, maybe, you know, looking at her the way she looks now than comparing ourselves to her when we were younger. Well, sure. Yeah, it gets worse. I mean, and that brings me into some something else that I think is has to do with that, not with that particular ad campaign, but um, with Instagram and social media and the media in general, which is that it's all fucking fake. Yeah, it's all a fantasy. What you guys, uh, you guys had a very interesting conversation recently about um, Linda Evangelista oh, yeah. and the Vogue cover, right? And I thought, you, you know, you covered that. You covered just about everything it was to cover in your back and forth about it. And particularly, I forget which one of you, Jen, I was telling Jen earlier, I can't, because I don't know you guys. I have trouble uh, distinguishing who's who until, Kim, you say something about being an EIC. And then I'm like, oh, that's Kim. <laughs> I laughed so hard because I was like, my key, I feel like my cadence is so different than yours. It is. I see I'll it now, it. but yeah. I, I can't hear it that well. Anyway. Right. But anyway, um, Linda Evangelista thing, yeah. And, you know, one of you kept saying, well, it's complicated. I think it was Jen. You kept saying, it's just complicated. Yes, it's complicated on the one hand, of course, because, you know, she had to do what she did because she needed it for her work. It's unfortunate that it happened. You know, why didn't they just retouch her completely rather than why did they do that? So they were typically, I mean, they were trying to make a statement, right? But what did that statement mean? And what did it mean for her, for them? What did it mean? What does it mean for us? My bottom line is nothing good for anybody, but right. the, but the main thing is, it's it just points out that it's all fucking fake. It's a fantasy, and that was in you know in the biggest way it shows. Like you know, well, even put a scarf on her head, tape her face, put a scarf on her head, put a hat on her. You know, it doesn't matter because if they didn't do that, they could have just done whatever they did to, to make her look, you know, with Photoshop to make her look like she used to. Right. Exactly. Like, what is the dip? Like, I really saw that. And I was like, what is the difference? Like, why, why tape her face up? Why go through all this, like all this, all this charade here, like to make her look, it's, it's really frustrating. And, but also it's, it's not just models anymore. It is Instagram. It is people, you know, that you follow who have, you know, 200,000 followers who are in their 40s and look like they're in their 20s. And they have, if you really look at their account, every single picture of their face looks different because they're using so many different apps to change their features. So this isn't a real face. I mean, and I, you know, I see some of these people in LA sometimes if I go to a party or something, I'm like, oh my God, like it's not like it is, <laughs> but like, you don't look like what you're showing me look like, you know? Actually, you know, I was at a um, an event years ago. I don't want to name the actress because I love this actor, actress. Um, but um, she's someone who has had a lot of work done. And um, she's not embarrassed about it. She's a brilliant woman all around, you know. But I saw her at this event. And I had seen her on television, like on Charlie Rose and various other talk shows and other, you know, events. And she looks just like, she looks spectacular. You cannot believe how old she is, right? And I saw her in person and she looked like, desiccated poultry. I mean, mm. super, super thin. I mean, she just looked so, so different. And, you know, one of the most um, uh, sorrowful things about this fantasy aspect of social media is that it gets much harder as you get older, because you start to see people who look the way you think you're supposed to look when you're, yes. you know, 60. And no one looks like that, not even them. 
And you think, well, am I the only one? And I mean, I've asked this question of myself. Do, am I, do I want to be the only person who's 70 years old who doesn't look like I'm 50? Yes. But right. The yes. point is, there right. are people who are 70 who look like they're 50. They might not look like they're, I mean, they, they may have had a lot of work done. They look different, but they don't necessarily look younger. I mean, there are people who I've looked at. I'm thinking of Evelyn Lauder, if you remember mm. her. I, I, Val, I was just thinking right? about Evelyn Lauder. Yes. Right? So, you know, you could be like face to face with her and you could never tell that she had any work done, but you could neither tell, ever tell how old she, she was. It's right? true. And, um, you know, I would say, well, I would find out who her plastic surgeon was. But the point is, she was a gorgeous woman and she was genetically blessed, Right. I mean, right. whatever she, whatever else she had done with for herself, you know, I'm sure that kind of helped things along. But for most of us, you know, civilians, we just don't. We're not starting from that baseline, and the expectation that we should look a certain way as we age is is brilliantly sadistic. Okay, so this brings us into your whole thing, which is how to not fuck up your face. So. Tell us about that. Jen's 48. I'm, you're 48 now, right? 49. I'm 58. I feel like I'm at the age when, like, I have friends who are sincerely pursuing and investigating facelifts now. Mm -hmm. You know, not just eye jobs, not just neck jobs, but full on facelifts. And how much of this is just getting to some sort of peace with the aging process? You look amazing, though, also, though, Val. Like, you don't look 70. Like, this is, this, you know. You look so, gorgeous. You, whatever you're see, I don't know what you see, but if you were to look at me face to face, you might say, oh, well, that's what 71 looks like on her. You know what I mean? Like on somebody else, it could look completely different. Um, but there's, I, I mean, it's very hard not to be judgmental when you're constantly being bombarded with a message like you shouldn't look like this. You, you're supposed to look mm-hmm. like this. Right? No frown lines. Jesus Christ, we eradicate right. those, you know? Like, right. 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 What could, is there anything, there's just nothing. The beauty industry is just inherently the way it is. There's nothing the industry itself could ever do to improve things for women or would do. Well, I think because it's based on capitalism, no, because if it starts to do, if it starts to, if, if it's, it takes an approach like what I'm about to tell you about, where's the money? <laughs> you know, right. I mean, they just lose, everybody loses an incentive to buy something and then you're fucked basically if you're selling, right? Right. right. So bottom, first of all, what you were saying about your friends who are now 58 considering facelifts. I have five friends who've had facelifts, five different women. They all had, they've had five completely different experiences. I hold nothing against them for making that choice. Um, I didn't think any of them needed it. You know, like I thought they looked perfectly great before. I think they look perfectly great now, but to me, no different than they would have looked, you know, if they hadn't had, but they did it for themselves and they're happier. I mean, two of them are not, but one of them is happier. And so like, what's wrong with that? She has, you know, 20 grand to spend, let her spend it. I, I mean, that's not none of my business. Right. Um, the thing is, uh, there is a way for us to become comfortable with our faces. I believe it's an exercise that I have written about and I try to um, refer back to, you know, whenever I talk about aging in my Substack, which is a lot. And I'm going to, I'm going to get into it by my a, a personal anecdote first. I'll, I'll make it brief and then I'll Please tell do. you. This is you amazing. Do. Please do this. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so this happened to me when I first became a beauty 
editor at Oprah at the magazine. And I'd never been in beauty before. I was new to the industry. I had no background in it. I was just learning. It was Oprah's and Amy Gross's idea that they choose a beauty person who would be learning along with a reader. So there, there was no mm. uh, assumed, you know, knowledge about it. Right. Um, which was kind of great. But so uh, they threw me a big party when I first came on and somebody sent me a photo taken at the party of me in a face-to-face conversation with a gorgeous, magnificent human Iman, right? The model. <laughs> and I looked at this photograph and this is the way I wrote about it was I described her as like a, a gorgeous hothouse flower in full outrageous bloom. And then me standing next to her talking face-to-face looked like a parking lot daisy. And I, <laughs> like on a warm afternoon, right? and I got this feeling when I looked at the photo, it was like, oh God, like I was so disappointed in myself, right? And I went, I had been doing a lot of therapy at the time, personal work. And I went over to the mirror in my office and I looked into my own eyes and I kept looking into my own eyes until I connected with a person who lives there. In other words, I saw myself as a person not as an object that didn't couldn't compete with this other beautiful object, right? Mm-hmm. And the moment I recognized myself, I said, I don't remember, you know, having any thoughts before this. I just went, oh, hi, sweetie. And I just mm-hmm. felt so relieved. And, and so when I would, you know, relate this anecdote, and if I was giving a keynote or something, and people would say, well, that's nice for you, but what about me, right? And I discovered that there's science behind that. There is, um, a, I think she's a clinical psychologist. Her name is Tara Well at Columbia or Barnard. And she's done research into what's called mirror meditation. I don't think it's new, but she's done the research that I know of. And what she's discovered is that when you can learn to see your face without objectification, and I'll get back to what that is and, and why it's so detrimental to us. When you can learn to see yourself without objectification, you are happier with yourself. You have better self-esteem. You like your face more. Um, You can see your face the way you see the face of any other woman, your mother, your sister, your best friend you love, right? Because little girls, from the time we, we start looking into a mirror, are taught to evaluate our face. Why? Because we need to, we're we're encouraged to objectify it so that it will be pleasing to some other entity, which is the thing, whatever that is. It's the male gaze, most likely, right? Or the female gaze, right? That makes us the object of someone else's perception, basically. And it's just something that we're taught in our culture. Uh, you know, it, we're taught to like smile, right? To make our face look more pleasing. We're, we're taught to, so we're taught to arrange our features in a way that isn't threatening if you're a woman, right? Or a young girl. Right. We're taught to be groomed. We're taught to be, taught to be like groomed perfectly, even from a young age. I'm just you know, getting like- an, I'm getting a, a, a really strong memory of like throwing my, my, my hairbrush oh. at the mirror, you know? When you're taught to see your own face that way, it takes you out of your body in a way that I, in my opinion, um, you know, is, is destructive for your self-esteem for the rest of your life. Right. Because 
I mean, it's not just your face, obviously. I'm talking about your face here, but you, we do it with our bodies. Oh, yeah, too, right, for sure. And and what happens is that the you know the um, when you learn how to deobjectify, when you can just see your face as as someone as a face, as I say, you know, ski jump nose or broad nose, blue eyes, green eyes, brown eyes, it's just another face. It's not something that must be improved then no matter what you decide to do with it, no matter how intrusive or invasive a procedure you, you choose, you're going to be happier with the result. If you don't do this, it's my belief, and it's been somewhat borne out by my experiences with some of my friends who've had facelifts, it's never enough because you cannot stop time. And if that's your goal is to objectify your face in such a way that it doesn't change, you are fucked because... It's never going to work. It's never going to work and it's never going to be enough. And you end up really fucking up your face sometimes. Well, so, yeah, I mean, yes. Like, what is that about? What happens when people get those people that we see pictures of who get so much plastic surgery that they're unrecognizable and they all kind of look like cats? Yeah. What's, what's the thing that happens there? You know, I'm, I tend to think uh, I feel more compassion for the patients than I do um, in that kind of situation because, because dermatologists or plastic surgeons, they, they know better than to right, be operating right. on people like that. And, you know, um, I have talked to some dermatologists and some plastic surgeons who say, you know, well, if, if one asks the question, like, what if somebody comes to you and you know, you know, she shouldn't have more work done. She says she wants more stuff in her lips, right? And you know, it's not going to help. Some doctors will say, look, if, because they have, they have an issue with, um, you know, keeping their patients because patients will jump from one patient doctor to another. I know that if I don't do it, she's going to go to somebody else who does it. And that person might do not as good a job as I might do. So I'll do it anyway. And I think right. that's kind of a cascade that, that may happen. I mean, and then there are just people, I mean, obviously when you go to somebody, anybody, any kind of doctor and you say, I, I want something done, you're at the mercy of that person's aesthetic judgment. Right. You never know what you're going to get. Let's take a quick break from some ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. 
But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hia Sera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hia Sera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25 percent off and we're back i just remember when i was at new york magazine we had a writer named lily barana who um was employed at the time as a stripper and she went to about 10 top new york city plastic surgeons she's a very attractive woman stripper body and said what should i do to myself and there was only one doctor who said absolutely nothing right right because they're in their businesses right I mean, yeah. the one thing to remember is that, um, and, and, you know, they're having a rough time too. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's a piece of cake to be a doctor these days, but dermatologists and plastic surgeons, you know, they're, they're businesses. So they need to make money, right? They need to, they need to buy what they need and they, you know, so they need patients. And, you know, I mean, I, I know a handful of dermatologists. I mean, I have a bunch of dermatologists who I consider friends and they would never do anything. I don't believe that was against their, you know, that didn't uh, conform to their integrity, their ideas about who they are and, and what they do. But I know there are people out there who, who, you know, who don't care. They'll just shoot people up with stuff because, and they don't even have to be doctors. They can be estheticians or nurses. So, so this is my question. We've had, we've had beauty editors on before and we've talked about all sorts of dermatological procedures. Are there any that you think are really worthwhile? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. In fact, not just any, I think there are many that are worthwhile. Mm. There's no way to tell one person, this is what you, you need. You know, this is what right. you should do because you need to see somebody who can evaluate your, your skin, your features, the dimensions of your face. Right. Um, but there are, there are many things that, I mean, that I find helpful. I think the, um, Botox is one of them, neurotoxin, d dice board or Botox. Um, because if you have the 11s, you know, these lines between your eyebrows that make you look really angry all the time, Botox can take them away and it really changes the way you're perceived as a person. Yes. This mm -hmm. is important, yes. I believe, because number one, you don't want to I mean, you know, you don't want to be, you know, incredibly grateful for being alive and feel very spiritual and happy and still have your face say, you know, fuck you and the horse you rode in on, right? 
you'd right. like your face to kind of be in the same arena as your as your as your spirit. Also important about that is that there is like a neurological loop between you and another person that um, can be uh, improved. I mean, I, I don't like to use the word improved, but it it can be made more pleasant, I guess, um, if you don't look angry, because if you look happy, then the person who's talking to you will be able to see that you are rather than not be able to see your happiness masked because it's masked by these, you know, deep lines in your forehead. And then, so then, you know, it gives a cleaner uh, engagement, right? It allows for a cleaner engagement. So that, that's one thing I, I do have to make a, a, like a small, um, detour here about crow's feet because I don't, I get Botox in my forehead. Um, cause I like a little lift in the arch of my brows cause I have very heavy upper lids and it helps with that a little bit, but I don't let, I never let the doctors though they want to touch my, um, crow's feet because to me, I call them the least unbeautiful of wrinkles Yes, because you get them from smiling. You get them from laughing. You do get them from squinting, but then you can wear sunglasses. That's you, you don't have to get them from squinting. And they're really important because, I mean, it's important to be able to smile a full smile because if you can't smile, what's called the Duchenne smile, which is in the, the smile that engages your lower face and your upper face, you'll notice mm. that when people have a lot of Botox up here, they smile and just their teeth show. If, if you look at the Kardashians, you can see that's how they smile. The, again, it interferes with the engagement that you, one gets with a Duchenne smile because when a person, so Kim, if you smiled at me and had a Duchenne smile, I would feel it neurologically, mm-hmm. you know, not consciously, but I would get that you were truly happy. If you can't you move that part of your face, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right? Right. Something is going on, but it doesn't feel completely right, right? Which, which is why we see actresses with bangs a lot sometimes. Maybe, yeah. So, um, so that's a good thing. I think neurotoxins are helpful. And then there are all kinds of lasers and ultrasounds, I think, that can improve the, the quality of your skin without completely changing the way you look. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, you know, a lot of them are in development now, and I've tried a few. Morbius um, 8. Wait, isn't there one called, did I make that as like Morpheus 8 or something? There is something called. <laughs> it's like I'm yeah. mixing it up with, I'm mixing Morbius it up with some comic book, but also I know like this devil name, but it's like, I think it's microneedling and laser at the same time. That's like, right. Right. So I've had microneedling and ultrasound. It's not laser, oh, it's ultrasound. It, yes. And, um, and that I believe can be helpful because it helps the, you know, it creates tiny, tiny wounds in your skin and then it helps regenerate collagen and elastin, you know, I mean, it's not something that, uh, you know, it's not a procedure that you go in at, that you do. And then you come out looking like 15 years younger, you just look a little fresher, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. these things are expensive and I'm always trying to evaluate, is it worth somebody who has, doesn't have, you know, 1500 or $2,000 to spend on a treatment is it worth it? I typically think not, yeah. you know, but if you do have the money and I mean, one of the, one of the things that I often advise people is, you know, quit spending money on the crap that you can get, you know, like expensive serums and moisturizers, buy the good stuff in the drugstore. You don't really need a serum and save those, that money and, and, you know, get a procedure in an in-office procedure that might actually do something you know, that you can see in your face. It might actually regenerate collagen and elastin. You know, it's not going to be huge, but it will probably be, you know, it could look like a refreshment. 
you know, there's one thing that, that I've done that uh, is covered by Medicare, actually, so it's covered by insurance, um, which is uh, the, the point is to get rid of precancerous um, areas on the skin. It's called, I think it's called blue light therapy. Uh, I wrote about it and I can't remember what, you know, what the, the, um, what month I wrote, what week I wrote about it in, but anyway, your, your skin is scrubbed with alcohol, which is not fun. And then painted with, um, a substance that reacts to sunlight and to a blue light. And they, you, you, you're sat in front of a blue light for like 17 minutes and it kills all of the, um, precancerous cells on the skin. Yeah. And then your face, you know, it, uh, it gets quite red. Um, I took a picture of what I looked like right after it was done. I was was like my, my cheeks and my forehead and my chin were on fire. And the more robust the response, the more likely it is that you had stuff that needed to be evacuated. Basically what it does for your skin is really great. I mean, my skin looked so clear and, you know, um, my, the, it kind of like seems to make your pores less visible. And, um, and if I had some rough spots and some redness that it kind of, that it took away. So there's that, but then there are other treatments like intense pulse light. Like if you have little veins on your face, that works really well for that. So there's a lot of things in the dermatologist armory. And I hate to use that word because it makes it sound like you're in a war, but you know, in their, uh, you know, on their bag. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> in their bag of tricks. Yeah, exactly. In their bag of tricks. Yeah. That can be really useful, but you need to see somebody who you trust, you know, who's not going to upsell you, try to upsell you. Right now. I feel like things that happen as you get older on, this is going to sound obvious. Like we're like, my eyebrows are really thin. Mm. My lashes are really thin. My lips are really thin. Like the things I think about doing now are like, you know, the, you know, doing the eyebrow thing, micro, mm-hmm. what's it Blading, called? Right. Or, yep. Yeah. Or getting yeah. some lip injections. But even that starts you down a scary path. Mm-hmm. It starts you down a path of like, okay, maybe I just need to accept that my lips are thinner now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that I don't have, because it, it does get scary. Like if, you know, I do that, then like, you know, how long until... I mean, not that you have airbag cheeks, like, you know, what are your feelings on fillers, Val? I think that's the, that's the Mm. question. What's your feelings? Because I feel like it is, fillers are a slippery, weird slope. Yeah, they sure are. Yeah. I, um, I've tried a little bit like dots of filler. Like I have, I have, um, perioral rites. These are these like, like smokers lines, even though I don't smoke. Um, it's genetic, you know, and I, and I had them filled in with, um, very, very thin kind of filler. It didn't really do anything. And I've had um, a couple of injections in my upper lip because my lip is uh, higher on one side than the other. And I wanted to have it evened out, you know, and that didn't really work. So, I mean, I don't, I don't love filler. I've seen filler in people that seems to work really well. I think the key is, um, and I don't like to say this because I don't believe in doing it necessarily, but I wouldn't, I didn't do it for myself. I'm, I'm, I don't regret not doing it, but, but all my smartest doctor friends say, you know, you start when you're like even younger than you are, Jen, you know, mid forties. Right. And you do a tiny bit and you just keep doing a tiny bit, you know, and never, so that 
keeps you at some point from like looking like you have pillow face, right? But my question is, you know, how do you know when you get to the point where that it's not going to work anymore? And then what do you do about the way you feel when it doesn't Mm -hmm. work anymore? I mean, it's like, bottom line, it's just like trying to stave off something that is ultimately you're going to have to come to terms with. Okay, so maybe that works for you. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that works. I mean, I, I got, I, for like four or five years from like when I was 44 and I was starting to really see some changes in my face, I, I got some filler. I got more filler and Botox than I currently get because I needed a bridge. I needed, cause I was really having a hard time accepting getting older. And I was just like, Whoa, I'm not ready. And I just needed a bridge. And now I get so much less than I used to get because I'm more accepting. I wouldn't say I'm fully there in any way, but I'm more accepting of, oh, it's okay. I feel okay about looking a little older. I'm almost 50. This feels okay to me, but I needed just that sort of soft landing. And I thought I got some filler in in that time. And it, it did, it kind of kept me looking, you know, 41 for about five years. And then Uh I was kind of like, I want to know what I look like. Yeah. Because the other thing is you kind of you miss out on the opportunity of aging if you're always fighting it. Like there is like watching your face change is also interesting. In it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, yeah, that's 49 to 58 to 49 <laughs> says fuck you to that <laughs> one. Fucking fine, fine, fine. But I do feel like people, there are people my age who could be 65. They could be, you know, 40. They just are so yeah. done that who even knows? They started at 35 and they looked like a 50 year old with work at 35 and they continue looking like a 50 year old because, because getting a lot of work done at 35 ages you, I think. And you wind up just being in that like unknown, I have a lot of work age. And I don't know. I do feel like that's missing something, some opportunity. So, you know, there are some, some dermatologist friends of mine who you, you, when you look at them, you really can't tell how old they are. Yes. Um, But there's always, to me, there's always a tell. Right. So, I mean, I just, I'm not interested in that. You know, I look at them, I mean, some of them, um, I'm thinking of one who I, you, I mean, I see her tell, I don't know whether other people do, probably not. Um, and you, she's probably around my age. You can't really tell how old she is and that's fine for her. And I only feel regretful when I'm with her. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it's because I'm comparing myself to her, right? Yeah. And then I think, well, maybe I should have started when I was, you know, your age, yeah. uh, Jen, and maybe just had a little, you know, and then I'm like, and then I look in the mirror and I'm like, you know what? I am okay with this. I am, you know, and it, on some level, it's not, I mean, I would probably do something drastic or invasive if I felt that it was um, impinging on my happiness. And so far it hasn't, you know, my friend, um, I have a friend who's a psychiatrist, uh, who believes I'm in deep denial about my face, you know, and I'm like, great. I, (laughs) you know, what's wrong with being in denial about the way you look? I can't see anything wrong with it. It helps me when I walk into a room, you know, I feel confident. I don't care whether people look at me and they think, you know, oh, she's an old, you know, she's, you know, a, an old harridan or something. I don't feel that way. So, and, and actually, even when people 
and this is happening more. I mean, it'll start happening to you, Kevin, to you, Kim, probably, you know, in five years, maybe, or 10 years, wait, you're 58, yeah, maybe 10 years. You're going to notice that not just that, you know, guys don't look at you the same way anymore, which you may already have yes. noticed, right? <laughs> but, um, and my always, my re- response to that has always been, well, that's your loss, man. You know, you can't see me. Fuck you. You know. Well, you know, we've talked about this, this whole idea of invisibility so much. Um, and Jean Guffrey June, who, you know, I'm sure was Such on the show writer. once. Yeah. Such good writer. And I said, Jean, when we worked together, you introduced me to the notion that after you turn 40, you become invisible. And she said, I wish I had never said that. I don't believe it. I'm not invisible to my partner. I'm not invisible to the people in my family or my friends. And that was really, that was kind of a turning point for me in a way. Like, you know, I'm, I am going to be invisible to a lot of people now, but to the people who matter, right. I'm decidedly not. Right. That's exactly right. I, I totally agree. And, and also, I think there are things that um, can, uh, you know, help you not be invisible. Like, for example, things that are really simple, stand up straight. Because, you know, the older you get, the more you're likely to kind of like bend over a little bit or hunch over a little bit. Or if you're trying to watch where you're going, you know, you look down at the ground, stand up straight and stand up tall. That makes a huge difference in how you're perceived. And if you look at an actress like, you know, the the enormously tall Sigourney Weaver or Jane Fonda, you notice their posture. They stand up really strong. They stand like ballerinas do, right? Well, that's I mean, at least when they're in front of the camera, that's really important. The other really critical thing to do is to look people in the eye. Because when you look someone in the eye, it's very, very hard for them not to see who you are. You don't Mm -hmm. have to communicate anything. But if you're actually looking them in the eye and you get them to look back at you, they have to acknowledge there's another person there, you know? So I think, I mean... That and posture are really, really important. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like some of this, I, I think it's important to say that that attention wasn't that great. Like, <laughs> True. I, felt, I felt like you were prey. Like, yeah. I appreciate that I can, like, sit in a bar reading a book and nobody fucking bothers me. You know, yeah. like, there's some things about the quote unquote invisibility that I love. I'm like, I can totally. just ride through the world and nobody, no fucking gross man is messing with me. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. Jermaine Greer was the first person who said that, you know, like when she turned into, she started calling herself a, a witch or something. I can't remember what she, but anyway, she was like, well, this is great, you know, because I don't have, there's a whole arena of shit out there that I don't have to deal with anymore. And, and, you know, I mean, at first when I heard that, I thought, well, that's kind of defensive, right? Because, you know, there is, it is a loss. And by the way, aging is all about loss. Yes. Of one kind or another, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's how you transition into it, I think, that that affects how it feels. And I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, I was thinking about, you know, this book, Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn. It, it's about, mm-hmm. I think it's about, you know, learning to live with stress. And, and um, I was anticipating that this question, which I get a lot, which is, okay, so, you know, you learn how to de-objectify your face, you know, then you walk out into the world and, you know, I'm always telling people, you want to be the looker, not just the looked at, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Because when you're objectified, when you've learned to objectify yourself, then all you're thinking about is, how do I look? How do I look? How do I look? Right? Yes. If you put that away and you become, instead of passive, the active looker, 
then you become engaged with the world in a way that is impossible otherwise, right? When you're engaged with the world and when you're able to be present in the moment, all this other crap that's floating around you, which is trying to encourage you to be the passive looked at, it goes, it falls away. So, you know, I mean, that's the wonderful part about it. The less wonderful part about it is that getting older means you're getting closer to your destination, right? The destination that we're all headed for. Nobody wants to think about that. When you look at an old person's face, what is the first thing you think of? Not consciously, maybe, but that person is closer to that destination than I am right now. Phew, right? Don't want to go there. Yeah, Yeah. right. So, So it requires you to be, the only thing that keeps you from going there is to be present in the moment, which if I'm sure you've tried it, it's really, really hard, but it's also rewarding in a way that nothing else, you know, about being a human being is. I, you know, it's like a nasty trick. We're given this consciousness, right, that allows us to be aware of who we are and, you know, that we're alive. And then we have this consciousness that takes us to the end and we don't know what happens after that. So it's like a it's like a dirty trick. Here, have this wonderful thing, but you know it's going to be over, and I can't tell you what happens next. So you've got to deal with it. Are you more or less vain than you were when you were younger? What a good question that is. Um, well, vanity is an interesting thing because for women, you know, it's such a loaded question. I think I'm probably about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm a little bit smarter now than I was when I was younger. So, so I feel it differently, but you know, for women to be accused of being vain is a nasty thing, right? Because you don't want to be thought of as, as vain. On the other hand, if you're not vain enough to take care of yourself, then you suffer the consequences of not, not being vain. Basically it's like a no win situation. Um, I, you know, I think I'm probably as vain as I always was, but my um, my perception about how I look feel the context feels different. That's what it is. So I, I may, you know, be as uh, vain as, you know, wishing I, you know, didn't have bags under my eyes or wishing, you know, I didn't have jowls or something, but the context is different because I feel more accepting of right. that. Right. It's no longer, you know, how things are often much more daunting when you haven't gone through them yet. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you're imagining going to the dentist and you know, think it's going to be terrible and then you do it. Oh, well, that wasn't as bad. Right. right. If you're lucky. But I think there's a little bit of that with aging, too. I mean, before, listen, we're having this really nice philosophical conversation, but people are going to want to know because you said that we don't need to buy all these expensive creams. And so I need to bring it back. <laughs> like, people are going to just shell it out all this money for bullshit and like tell us. What actually like helps improve the quality of your skin product wise? Is there anything or are we all just suckers? Well, so there is one thing that has been proven and you probably know what it is. It's retinoids, right? Vitamin A derivatives. And I've been using a prescription retinoid. Now I use it less frequently because my skin is drier. Um, But I try to use it about every other night. Um, And that is the one thing that has been proven to help generate, regenerate collagen and elastin in the skin. And if you look at people who've been using prescription retinoids their whole life, you can actually see it. 
in their skin. So that's one thing. Okay. I was just going to ask, no, I have, I have sensitive skin and have been told that I cannot use retinoids. Are there good alternatives? You can use a retinol, which is a, a less um, irritating retinoid. Um, mm-hmm. And you can get a retinol over the counter. But I think now there are even prescription retinoids that are uh, less irritating. So, I mean, the issue would be to find right. a doctor who can recommend one that, and I, in fact, I just read about one that I think is a prescription that is supposed to be for super sensitive skin. So I would look into that. Cool. Yeah. So there's, I mean, that's, that's one thing. And then um, people like to save, um, you know, vitamin C helps with um, sun damage. I don't know. I, I don't believe a hundred percent in that. I mean, um, I don't know what the studies have been, but the, a lot of doctors recommend vitamin C because they say it helps with uh, um, sun damage, both both um, preventing sun damage, further sun damage, and you know reducing existing sun damage. I don't know that it works, but what I do know is that vitamin C serums, if they're good, um, and there are just one or two that I that I know doctors recommend, they're super expensive, and I don't know whether again, you know, the value is worth. Um, the results that you get on your face. So there's that. Um, and a really good moisturizer is what's going to make your skin look, um, in addition to a retinoid, it's going to make your skin uh, look plumper. I can just get that at the drugstore? Like I don't yeah. have to? Okay. And, and what's always bullshit? What is inevitably bullshit, no matter who makes it? Collagen, any collagen crap you apply to your skin, the collagen molecule is too big to penetrate the epidermis. And how about mixing collagen in with your coffee in the morning? Uh, Same I don't thing? think studies have shown that that helps your skin at all. Yeah. No, I think any, I mean, there may, there may be at a time, there may be, uh, you know, studies that show that ingesting collagen in some way does something to the skin. And I think there have been some studies that show that, you know, like there's a, it somehow gets to some layer of the skin, but they don't know what it does. And, you know, I don't even want to talk about this because I don't know enough about it, but, but whenever I hear that a product like an over-the-counter product has collagen in it. It's just bullshit. And you know what else is there that um, that people say that you need peptides? Um, I've read, or you know, like peptides are supposed to be great for your skin. Well, peptides are proteins, I think, and um, I don't think they're especially. I don't know that they're going to make a huge difference in your skin. I mean, the point is, if you can get a moisturizer that's got you know, hyaluronic acid, which is a good moisturizer and peptides in it, and you pay $12. Okay. Maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't. I just finished this book called Clean. can't remember the name of the writer, but he's this guy who was a doctor who decided to get a master's in public health. He decided not to shower and see what would happen to his body. And he goes in, he writes a lot about the skincare industry and how much bullshit it is, you know, and how uh, what we're often doing is taking away what our skin naturally needs because we have a, typically we have a healthy microbiome, right? We have microorganisms, microorganisms on our skin that keep it healthy basically. And what we're constantly doing is wiping them off or washing them off and then trying to replace them in ways that aren't as effective as what was originally there. And the other thing about, you know, that you can buy that's good for your face is a cleanser that doesn't strip it. So, you know, a gentle non-soap cleanser is really good. It's a good thing to invest in, I think. But you can, again, get something like that for 12 bucks or 15 bucks. So I, I just, I mean, for me, I'll tell you what I, oh, and sunscreen is the most important thing. So, you know, no matter what you think about what my, what kind of condition my face is in, 
I feel confident in telling readers that there are maybe maybe four things you need that you can buy mostly at the drugstore. One is the prescription retinoid or a retinoid or retinol or some product that has a vitamin A derivative in it that will have an impact on your skin. So that's to wear at night. And then if you if your skin is dry, then you put a moisturizer, fine drugstore moisturizer over that, like CeraVe or or I can't remember, but any, you know, any like drugstore moisturizer is fine. And then in the morning, a, a gentle non-soap cleanser. I actually don't even use cleanser in the morning anymore. I just wipe my face off with a cotton pad and, and water. And then for me, the next step is, uh, is my sunscreen. And I use an SPF 30 Neutrogena sunscreen. And it's a moisturizing sunscreen and it's got retinol in it. Um, and so for me, that takes care of it for the most of the day. If I'm out in the sun, I like these um, powder uh, sunscreens by um bare mineral it's no mineral it's not super goop it's um maybe if i can tell you later in the in you maybe put it in the show notes yeah are we yeah tell email us we'll put it in the show Wait, okay notes. so we're kind of getting into makeup so let's talk about that before we go you know people are just people okay so you've done as you did a certain makeup your whole life right and then you reach a point and you're like oh fuck <laughs> lip gloss looks dumb <laughs> like, or whatever it is. Like for me, it's like, I used to, I wear, I used to wear red orange lipstick all the time. It's in the last two years, it mm. just flipped and it just it doesn't work anymore. Like, do you believe in the myth that, I mean, or is it a myth that women should wear less makeup over 40? Because in my mind, it is, it is just bullshit. I wear so much more really? makeup than I did when I was under I wear 40. so much less. I, I, all I wore, all those, uh, I just put on mascara for years until I realized like the jig is up and well, I need to wear. I actually, I would say, you know, like whatever you feel comfortable with, I would say for me, less is more, but for some women, my age, I see when they're wearing uh, like a bright red lip and lots of black mascara, they look fabulous. Right. I mean, Kim, I understand what you're saying. Um, Cause you might feel like there's more you need to, um, uh, less you want to emphasize and, and more you want to uh, like subtend or something or like camouflage. I, I actually don't feel that way. And, and for me, I, I'm not really interested anymore. Like I find like if I do something where I, I'm being um, photographed, then I just use my favorite thing, which is mixing a little of the Laura Mercier tinted moisturizer in with my regular moisturizer that just kind of gives your uh, an even tone to your complexion and a little zhuzh, a little, you know. And a little bit of blush mm -hmm. and mascara. The big thing is the eyebrows, though, because I'm very attached to my eyebrows, though they're less attached to me, unfortunately. And I had them microbladed. <laughs> and I went to this woman. I was terrified, I have to tell you. Val, I'm getting this woman's name from you as soon as we're done, please. Yeah, sure. She, she's brilliant. I called her the micro, Michael, Michelangelo of microblading. Um, she's <laughs> wildly expensive outrageously expensive. I think she charges like 1500 or maybe even $2,000 to do your brows. She's worth going to for a, com for a consultation. Um, and what she does to me, because I'm so conservative, is, I mean, it's like I have like five little lines in each brow. It's nothing. But it's just enough so that before I fill in with a little bit of pencil, I don't look like my brows are super thin or they don't look patchy. Yeah. And I think it's really important get that done if you feel like it, you know, more than anything else. Yeah. No, because the thing that I always think is that 
beauty doesn't turn to ugly. Beauty fades. And it's oh, dealing with the idea. But 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 you know what I mean? It's like it just fades and I have to resist the urge sometimes to draw myself back yeah. into <laughs> to darkly yeah. or whatever, you know, because you can still see like, oh, I can see who I was at 35 if I squint and put on lots of eyebrow pencil. Actually, that's lovely. I mean, I, I think um, it's part of why I go for the less makeup because I still want to see who I am. Is you know so rather right. than but and and you can see when a woman has succumbed to that the thing that you're avoiding that you just mentioned, she looks very scary. And the reason for that is that it's it's I believe you know it has to do with and people will laugh me off the planet when I say this, but with Darwinism because I think when you try to recreate what you once had in your twenties that made you a um, you know, sexually uh, healthy looking uh, mate potential. When you try to recreate that, it evokes something in our hardwiring that scares us. Like when you see, say you see a woman from behind who's got long Mm -hmm. blonde hair, right? She turns around and her face is painted the way you just described. It's terrifying, right? Why? Why would that be scary? It's because she's trying to put one over on us and we know on some level that's fucked up. Cause that's not real. Right? Yeah, right. So, so, you know, when you start, and I, I think there's a, an element of that, even when you have plastic surgery work, you know, because when your lips are just whatever that is, a tad, the wrong shape or a tad too full, or your cheeks are just a tad too full. We know, like we get this feeling. It's, it's definitely a feeling before it's a thought. Something is rotten, you know, and, Denmark, Copenhagen. Yeah, it's the un- it's the uncanny valley. Well, it's it's a freak, right. It's a freak show. It's a it's a freak show, and it's like and also it's just it's like we we're talking about with Lindalyn Evangelista. It's not being right with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not like allowing for that flow, and it's just you just see it. It's just in your face that that person's discomfort in a way, and they're they're like holding on, and it's it's really uncomfortable to witness. And you know what? I think that's why we sometimes react so meanly to people like that because we don't know what to do with the discomfort. For sure. And it's triggering for us of our own bullshit too, right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, I feel, I feel so tender, Kim, um, about, you know, you're feeling like you're, you're fading and you want to paint yourself back, you know, paint yourself back on. I mean, to me, that's an exquisite way of thinking about, your face as you get older, because that it is in a way what happens, you know, there's so much loss and you, you remember what you once looked like and, and, and the, uh, the, you know, the vividness of the way you felt and looked when you were younger, but there's something also exquisitely beautiful in my opinion about acknowledging that the fade, I mean, there's, um, in Japanese culture, there's this thing called wabi, Sabi, I think it is. And it's basically acknowledging the beauty in something that has gotten older, you know, or it's, is um, kind of becoming decrepit, you know, and there is beauty in it because why it's natural because it's part of the natural world. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to, for me anyway, to acknowledge that in oneself because of what it means, because it means 
you're acknowledging the end game, right? Which nobody wants to do. But at the same time, there is an exquisite beauty in it because it means, um, you know, you're present, basically. You're allowing yourself to be present in the moment and acknowledging who you are in the present moment rather than trying to push that creature, that character, whatever it is, away. So, I mean, I hope I can remember that because I I think it's a a really... um, as I said, you know, an exquisite way to think about what happens to your face. Thank you. Mm. Thanks, Val. Thank you. Jeez, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, Val, where can people find you? They're going to want to find you after this. We want, oh, we all want your wisdom all the time. So the Substack, my Substack is called How Not to Fuck Up Your Face. And you can get there by going to valeriemonroe.substack.com. So it's V-A-L-E-R-I-E-M-O-N-R-O-E dot substack.com. Thank you so much, Val. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it on all the platforms, particularly Apple Podcasts. It really um, helps the show reach more people. We sometimes read five-star reviews on the show. If you want to support the production of the show, you can join our Patreon. It's at patreon.com backslash everything is fine. We do live events there. We blog there sometimes. We put out special bonus episodes there as well. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram at EIF podcast. We have a robust Facebook group which is just under the name of our podcast. We are weirdly on LinkedIn. We have a Twitter. You can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. You can find me at tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. And the show is mixed and edited by the wonderful Natalie Rivera. Thank you so much, Natalie. And we'll be back next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.